time. Um, I, uh, over the last several years, um, uh, I will call him Pastor Scott, and I uh, met on Thursday mornings, and I suppose it was supposed to be something that was strategic for us, but we mostly ended up talking a lot about how life works, and it has been um, not only something that's very important to me, but something that I miss very much, so it's good to be here with you today at North Central University. I actually almost went to school here, and then I found out it was cold. So uh, like uh, Scott, I went to school in Santa Cruz, California, where it is not cold, and that was a uh, great experience for me. Uh, you know, I get the opportunity to um, go around the world. It, it's been amazing to see what God is up to. We've been able to do school assemblies. I think I have a little clip called the change wall there. As students flood the front of, of a place where you can't even mention the name of God. And people ask me, how does that even work? I say, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit saying things that we're not allowed to say. And that's not a bad place to be. We have a coaching program this year with at-risk homeless and Muslim refugee students in California and Oregon, where uh, this year we'll reach about 800 students uh, in weekly sessions. Basically, um, we are stepping in and saying, God is helping us. Let us help you with needs that you have. I walk into schools, I say, give me your worst 15 students, the toughest ones you got. And they say, middle-aged white guy, I don't think you know what you're looking for. And I say, you are incorrect because I have been doing this for a very long time. God does great things. We are able to take three to 500 students um, in what we call volunteering abroad. You might know of it as a missions trip, but we uh, open it to people who have no faith, of any faith. We'll take Muslim students with us this year. We've taken homeless students, LGBT uh, organizations with us. We even took lawyers. So, you know, we'll take anybody along in that. When schools sometimes ask me, say, well, is this like a church thing? I say, we'll take churches. We don't discriminate against anybody because of their faith. And they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense to us too. So God is uh, doing great, great, great things. And it's because of the ability to meet needs. And I want to talk with you about today that actually missing those needs that God is putting in front of you puts you in a very precarious situation. When you stand with me and pray this morning really quickly. Even as you're standing, repeat after me, say, Dear God, I'm glad I'm here. And today, you can say whatever you want to me. I mean that. Make me uncomfortable. Get all up in my business. I'm listening. I mean that. Really. In Jesus' name, amen. Sit down. Say, if you just lied to God, you're in big trouble to somebody next to you. If you have your Bibles, and I don't know why you would, you're in Bible college, um, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, you know, it's interesting as I can kind of trace my steps from speaking to uh, students in special needs schools in Africa to little schools where uh, we're 45 minutes from the closest electric electricity in Nicaragua uh, to just, it, it's really amazing to see how God um, can step into the ordinary, and I am an extremely ordinary person but I can trace everything back to a night in Chico, California. I grew up in a uh, college town in California that five years running at the time had been named by Playboy magazine the number one party school in the United States of America. And that brought together some different kinds of people. And there was a park downtown that had a lot of homeless youth that hung out. Some of them were college age, some of them were high school age. And I grabbed three of my friends. I have no idea why my parents let us do this or how any of our parents let us do this at 16 years old. They were 15 and 14. And we said, we're going to reach those people. And our plan was simply to hang out with them from 
10 o'clock at night till 1 in the morning every Friday and Saturday night for a year. Now, again, if you have good parents, and I'm assuming you might, uh, they will not allow you to do this. But it was a different time or something. Maybe they didn't know what we were doing. But we walked into the park. I'll never forget the first time we walked into that park. One of my friends, it was cold because it was winter. Not cold like here, but cold like there. And he had a brand new uh, red ski jacket. And we walked in, I realized we were the only people in the park not dressed completely in black. And we just walked up to some guys playing hacky sack. We said, hey, can we play? If you don't know what hacky sack is, that's something that you do while you smoke pot. And so we walked up. And uh, we weren't very good because, again, we do not smoke pot. Uh, but we just started to talk to people. And they said, after a little while, what are you doing here? And they said, we feel like God has sent us to this park as missionaries. We're just here to pray with anybody or anything. And they said, okay, this doesn't make much sense. But things began to change. We began to kind of get through to people. God began to give us opportunities. I remember we walked in the park one night and a guy walked up to us that we saw every week and he said, hey man, there's this couple here. You got to come pray for them. Uh, this is crazy and they're in really big trouble. And I looked at him and I thought, if you think they're in big trouble, they really are. And I went and I talked to this couple and I said, hey, where are you from? Just making small talk. They didn't want to talk. They said, we're from Pennsylvania. And they began to tell me this story. I said, where do you live? They said, that car right there. And I said, that car has tickets all over. They said, yeah, we ran out of gas. He said, this is my, uh, my girlfriend and her stepdad used to sexually abuse her four or five times a week. So one night when he fell asleep, I hit him as hard as I could in the back with a baseball bat. We took the keys and we ran and we ran out of the money that we stole from them. It's right there. And I remember we began to get people involved. We didn't know what we were doing, but there were people that did. So we began to kind of get people going places. And they kind of saw us as missionaries to the people of the park as well. And I'll never forget one night as we were leaving, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and the bars were just getting out because in California the bars close at 2 o'clock in the morning. Suddenly there's people everywhere. And as I was walking, I heard the unmistakable sound of metal on metal. If you've ever heard a car accident in real life, uh, it's like that. And I walked over, and now there were 300 people around this three-lane intersection. And in front of me there was a Mazda Miata, there was a bicycle that was mangled. There was a guy standing over another guy who was laying on the ground with blood running out of both of his ears. And I thought, whoa, what's going on? And the people next to me, kind of drunk, kind of high, they didn't know. They were kind of nervous laughter. One of them knew him. I said, dude, that's Gavin. Man, he is messed up. And I stood there, and I was taking all this in. It was misty. It was kind of dark. I was kind of tired. And all of a sudden, I woke up like that when I felt the voice of God say, step in that park, go pray for that guy and see what happens. And I took a step into the park without even thinking. And then I thought. I took a step back. I thought, I don't know about that. Wait a second. And so I, I stood there for a little bit longer. And after a few minutes, God spoke to me again as clearly as I've ever heard him speak. Go pray for that guy. See what I do. And I stepped into that park. And I thought, mm, I don't think so. I thought, yeah, going to be, you know, they're going to get me for practicing, you know, medicine without a license. I don't know what's going to happen. What if nothing happens, this whole crazy thing? And the third time, the Lord spoke to me. And this time I said, God, we both know that is not going to happen. I walked away from that place that night. The ambulance came and went slowly, which is not a good sign. And as I lay in my bed that night at 4 o'clock in the morning with tears streaming down both my cheeks, I said, God, as long as I live, that will never happen again. I will never let fear paralyze me again in my entire life. Now, I can tell you that I've done a lot of stupid things. I can tell you I've been in situations where I was unqualified and out of place and outmanned, outgunned, and it wasn't wise. People say, how do all these crazy things happen to you, Jeff? I say, I lack judgment. But it's because I said, God, never again will that happen. 
And I can really trace my life back to that point. In Matthew 25, it's a very common parable. Guy's going away. He goes to his three guys, and he gives one of them. He says, hey, listen, uh, I'm giving you five talents. He goes to the second guy. He says, hey, I'm giving you two talents. This is some bags of silver, perhaps. And he goes to the third guy, and he says, eh, I don't like the cut of your jib, but you might be able to do something with it. Here's the third one. First guy goes out and invests it. Second guy goes out and invests it. Third guy goes out and buries it in the ground. The master comes back. He says, hey, I'm coming back. I want to see my money when I get there. First guy shows up. He says, hey, I knew that you're a tough guy, and I knew you'd want to invest it, so I took your five bags of silver. I turned it into ten bags of silver. He said, that's what I'm looking for. Looked at the second guy. He said, I only gave you two. I don't trust you so much. The guy says, yeah, but now I have four. He goes, all right, that's what I'm looking for right there. The third guy says, listen, these guys, they put your money at risk. And I thought, if they lose all your money, somebody better be responsible here. So I held on to this bag of silver. I made sure nothing happened. When I heard you were coming back, I went out and dug it up where it was safe. It was still there. I dusted it off. And here it is. And here's what Jesus says to him in verse 26 to 25. You wicked and lazy servant. You know I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even little what they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christianity is a dangerous sport. But in this situation, Jesus makes the point, the most dangerous thing you can possibly do as a person of faith is to take no risks. The danger of Christianity, if you grew up like me in the church, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run with those that do, I would say that uh, probably a good idea not to smoke. I think the Surgeon General has spoken on that one. I think chewing kind of stinks, um, and I don't know that I necessarily want to be around the people that are doing that all the time because they're stinky, but I will tell you this. If you have been led to believe that your Christianity, the measure of your maturity, is in the bad things you don't do, you have been misled, and I'm sorry that we have misled you. Of course you've got to throw off the sin that so easily entangles, get rid of the, the things that hinder. But the race is not about avoiding pitfalls. It is about getting to the end of the track as God leads you into difficult situations. And not doing so is dangerous. Faith without an edge, is dull. Guy comes to Jesus. He says, listen, you, you, you got to heal my, my son. And Jesus says, do you believe? He goes, I believe. Help me because I don't really believe. That is the essence of faith. It's the difference between knowing and having faith. I have no problem. I talked to Chris, the sound guy before. I'm sure this microphone would work. That doesn't take much faith. Believing that I can trust you when I've got something difficult going on in my life, now that takes faith because you might fail me. And listen, Jesus, everything he did, he refused to prove himself. Everything he did required faith. I don't know, we've, we've kind of smoothed out Jesus, but this guy was not dull by any stretch of the imagination. He was edgy. You think about the things he said to people? It's crazy. First of all, he's a 30-something unmarried guy, a little weird right there. He just walks around, no formal job. He's just talking to people. And the crazy stuff that he says and does, he at one point stands up and says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. I'm out. 
and never explains it. The disciples go, what exactly? He barely, he barely ever explains himself. He says all kinds of crazy stuff. He tells them at one point, hey, listen, give everything you have to the poor. Now, that might be easy. You're a college student. You walk up, go, here's my student loan payments. But if you had a little bit of money, that's like, oh, that's probably metaphorical, I think. And Jesus did weird stuff, too. They brought a guy to him and said, this guy's blind. Jesus said, bring him right here. Spit in his eyes. What? And then the next, you know, I don't know, maybe the disciples go, hey, that wasn't that cool. So the next time they said, this guy is blind. And they said, okay, Jesus, please don't spit in his eyes. He goes, and they said, oh, good. He spat in the ground this time. Then he makes some mud, rubs us in his eyes. You can imagine Peter going, that's not better. This is a guy who made his own whip because he didn't like the exchange rates in the temple. He made his own whip. Yeah, he threw the tables over, but it says he made it. You know how mad you have to be to make your own whip? He wasn't, the exchange rate of these guys, I'm going to, and listen, I've been ripped off in exchange places in countries around the world. I understand how angry it can make you, but this is not exactly what a leader who is seasoned and normal does. Jesus was edgy. And we've pearlized him like an oyster who's got a piece of sand irritating him and secretes a substance around it so that it's smooth and easy. We have taken this edgy guy who was tortured to death because people hated him so much. And we've made him into, well, I brought a picture of here. Here's Jesus with lambs. Is that the guy you're reading about in the Bible? Faith without an edge is dull. It's dull. I went to Vienna, Austria a couple of years ago. And while I was there, I didn't know about it. I went to this place called Stevens Church. And Stevens Church is one of the most incredible places. You walk in, you can feel God. It goes so high, the ceiling. This is a church that was so ornate, it held the, the funeral services of both Beethoven and Mozart. Okay? When you got Ludwig and Amadeus, that's pretty cool. It was so awesome, as a matter of fact, that when the Nazis were retreating, Hitler gave the, the, the order. He said, knock it down, bomb it, burn it to the ground. And the German generals refused to do so. I walked around. I was amazed. I did some calculations later on the foot plant. It will seat 10,000 people, over 700 in just the choir loft. And then I looked up the church attendance for last year. It was 453 people a week. Ladies and gentlemen, if we become a monument to a once great radical movement, we are in trouble. Faith without an edge is dull. And without desperation, miracles don't happen. I already told you, people say, why are you always seeing all this crazy stuff? And I go, well, listen, I'm not that smart, so I just do it. But miracles, we all want to see miracles. We all want to see it. I, you know, every year around Easter, they play the uh, Charlton Heston movie. And one of the great scenes in that movie with Charlton Heston, and he's playing Moses. They're standing there, and he parts the Red Sea. And it's awesome. Even in 60s cheesiness, it's awesome, right? But as they're parting the Red Sea, did you ever realize why they need to part the Red Sea? Because there's no way around. There's two million people standing there, and the Egyptians are coming to cut them to the ground. 
If something doesn't happen, you want to see miracles happen, put yourself in a place where if God doesn't come in and help you, you are in big trouble. We all want to see miracles happen. We just don't want to be standing at the edge with certain death if God doesn't come through. You want to see God do something, you stand at the edge. Yeah, it's awesome, right? It's awesome, right? Listen. When is the last time you did something that if God didn't step in and intervened, you are completely over? Because if you have not tried anything recently that God has to intervene or you're in trouble, then you are an atheist. Oh, maybe you believe in God, but you are living like God does not exist. Listen. God wants to see amazing things happen just like we do. But you don't get to tell stories about killing giants unless you're ready to step in with no armor and a couple of rocks to face a nine-footer who's been killing people since he was younger than you. That, that is how we see miracles happen. And God does huge things. Third one is this. Without risk, there is no such thing as authentic Christianity. Look, I'm not talking about trying to get yourself in trouble. I'm talking about not trying to avoid it when trouble is going to come your way if you do what God has asked you to do. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. Listen, when is the last time your faith had you do anything dangerous? Because it might not be the real thing if it hasn't. I'm telling you, our greatest heroes, the guys that followed Jesus around, they were all murdered for it. Judas killed himself. John was boiled in oil, probably ended his modeling career, but he lived. The rest of them, you look it up. They're sawed in two, pulled to death by horses, crucified, crucified upside down. A little variety there. These are our heroes. These are our heroes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, For I swear, brothers and sisters, I face death daily. When's the last time you face death? In the first three centuries of Christianity, 90,000 Christians were murdered brutally. They would dip them in wax and light them on fire to, ro to, to light Roman parties. They would sew them into wild animal skins and have dogs chase them down. They thought that they were going to bury Christianity, but they were burying seeds in the ground that would grow. And this is the essence of who we are. If the worship team can join me. I got a question. Is there anything about you that is dangerous? Is there anything about you that when the devil that walked with Jesus for 40 days sees you, he says, I'm a little bit afraid of that person. Because if not, you may believe in God. You might have prayed the prayer in Sunday school. You might know all the songs. But God is calling us to something greater than that. And it's scary. 
It's scary. I told you we take three to 500 people a year. We built 80 homes for Oaxacan Indians the last several years. We, we take people down middle of nowhere. And a couple years ago, I was a little bit sick. Uh, I was supposed to go to beach prayer for three days. I didn't. Um, and um, the third day, I, I still had kind of a sinus infection. I thought, I'll get up and go anyway. Somebody else had to drive. And as we were driving along, we just got a little bit away from where we were staying. All somebody said, did you just see that? The truck that was passing us had kind of done this little bump move and moved on. And we looked over, and here was a guy laying on the ground, a mangled bicycle, and he was bleeding from a lot of parts of his body. We quickly went back and got some people. They came out. Turned out I had an EMT. I had three people that spoke Spanish. I had a nurse. I, I had some people there that were helping this guy. And I stood there that day as we were helping this guy. Eventually the ambulance would come get him. Somebody said, I'm going to replace three months of his wages like the Good Samaritan and gave $600 to cover this guy's wages. But as I was standing there that day as we were making a perimeter and the police came, they came and stood there with M16s for 40 minutes before the ambulance finally got there. And people were stabilizing this guy. And as I was just standing there, it was misty and it was a little weird. And I was standing there and all of a sudden it hit me and I was kind of overcome. I had to turn around because I didn't want anybody worried. I turned around and tears began to stream down my face. And I thought, here I am. 25 years later and God has brought me back to the point of failure in my life that has motivated all this but this time I'm not alone because I've inspired other people to be just as foolish as I am my whole job is talking people into doing things they wouldn't do otherwise And it has been amazing to see what God can do, what God can do with ordinary people. Last night, I got in late. I had a little plane delay, but I was already coming in late. At about 12.35 at night at the airport, I had a guy pick me up and lift, and he got in. His name was Mohammed, and we started talking about it. And as I talked to him there for a minute, he said, you know, he said, uh, you know what our big problem here in Minneapolis is? I said, what's that? He said, Muslim refugees. I said, really, Mohammed from Pakistan? He said, yeah, these people, government gives them too much money. They don't integrate. They're bad people. I thought about the students, a couple hundred students now, that we've helped integrate in California. I thought about the mom that I talked to in Portland is after four days of reaching out to people, we had a barbecue for 35 Muslim people in Portland. And I talked to a mom who was from Libya, and she said, it's so dangerous there. She said, I've been here for two months, and I go to sleep every night racked with guilt that I'm not afraid I'm going to die in my sleep because a bomb's going to hit or somebody's going to come in and rape and murder my family. I feel guilty because my friends are still living that. She said, and people are reaching out to me. She said, do you know somebody last week on the street came up, put their hand on my shoulder. She said, I was changing my boot, and I had the full hijab on. And she said, they just said, hey, I hope you don't mind. I'm a Christian, and I felt like God wanted me to come over and pray with you. I hope it's not weird. And she said, I realized as I smiled, I had forgotten how to smile. And now you people are coming from some church. She said, I come from a place where people of the same faith are murdering each other over small differences in power. 
and people here are reaching out to me. Makes you wonder what God is up to. I looked it up before I came here to work with homeless students in California. I looked it up. You may or may not know half, half, actually 51% of the homeless people in Minnesota are under the age of 18. There are needs surrounding you, not later, but right now. God is calling us to do things that make us uncomfortable. Can I tell you something? You start reaching out to homeless youth like we have, you deal with a lot of LGBT youth. You deal with a lot of weird kids. We had a pool party at my house with about 20 homeless youth, and it took three or four days before the pool wasn't cloudy anymore. It was inconvenient, uncomfortable. We had a guy that was 6'2", with uh, white dreadlocks in a bikini that wanted to go by Brianna. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. I had a friend say, you got to be careful. He called me from Mississippi. He said, you got to be careful. We're working with those Muslims. You know, a lot of them are terrorists. I said, yeah, I don't know if you've met Ali and Reza and the kids that uh, try to dress like they're on the front of a magazine and they blast Persian pop in my Jeep. But if it is dangerous then I will take that on. Talked to a principal on Friday. And he said, listen, can you come to our school and talk to students? Last year, or the year before last, we had 12 students at our school commit suicide. Ladies and gentlemen, there are needs, and you will always have a place if you say, I'm ready to go where it's not pretty, it's not comfortable, and maybe even sometimes it's a little dangerous. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I pray for people in this room who start to get mad. When they look around and see what the enemy is doing, that they'd start to get mad. Jesus, when you walked the earth, you said to your disciples, don't wait four months for the harvest. Open your eyes. God, in this room, I pray that you would begin to open our eyes. Students, with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, I want to tell you something today. So many years ago, in Craig Chapel, Bethany College, in Santa Cruz, California, I flooded the front of that room and said, God, tell me a little more. Every time I had a chance. Every time I had a chance. Don't miss these opportunities. I can see it in your faces. Some of you, God is speaking to you. He's talking about Bangladesh. He's talking about trafficking. He's talking about scary things. Lean into it. Be foolish. Get weird. In just a second, the band is going to play, and I want to invite you. If it's just for a couple of minutes, you got to rush off to class, that's okay. Spend two minutes here. We got two minutes. We got a little more time than that. But sit and shut up and say, God, speak to me. In Jesus' name, God, speak to me. Show me a little more. Show me now. Show me then. Talk to me, God. Do this thing. In Jesus' name. Would you stand up? The band begins to play. If you want to spend time at the altar, come right here. I know Pastor Scott, my friend Andrew, Dr. Graham, I'm here. We'll walk around. We'll pray for you. Don't miss this right now. If God's speaking to you, come to the front. Find a place. Kneel. 
look towards the sky, pray, God, show me a little more. God, give me the guts to be dangerous. I'm afraid. Help me not to be afraid. God, I'm lacking faith. Help me to have more faith. I don't want to be dull. I want to be real. I want to have an impact. I want to be sharp. I want to see something amazing happen in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.